you up, I wanted to go a little bit deeper with Chris or Lily um, on biometrics. And if you could say sort of specifically some of the concerns around biometrics in relation to E-Verify. I know at NOAC we occasionally get questions on this, and it would be helpful for me to understand a little bit more some of the concerns around biometrics. Well, sure. Lily, there, biometrics are something we've used for millennia. The, the view of your face, the sound of your voice, the color of your hair, the color of your eyes are all forms of biometrics. Your signature is a biometric. A fingerprint is a biometric. But when we're talking about biometrics at this level, one, they are going to have to be automated. All these processes of gatekeeping will be automated, so it won't be a human being who will be making the determination that you are who you say you are. It will be an application or software or program that screens against the database of, of information that's being collected and matches it to the person who's presenting the biometric at the point it's being checked. So we have questions about scalability. So we know in smaller settings, biometrics are routinely used to control access at nuclear power plants or into sensitive areas uh, of facilities. But when you start talking about um, over 100 million um, employed persons, and if we're looking at full employment, the number would be much greater, fully automating a process like that and for it to work accurately with a degree of, of of reliability that we could trust. That's something that's never been done before. And back to the idea that we know biometrics very well, there was a case in 2004, uh, Brandon Mayfield, an Oregon lawyer, whose fingerprint was identified in the Madrid bombing. And three FBI fingerprint experts declared that it was an exact match. It turned out not to be. Um, because of errors, but it was assumed for so many decades that fingerprint matching was completely accurate that it came as a surprise, and then other cases have emerged where um, convictions have been overturned because it was solely based on fingerprint match that turned out not to be accurate. So those are just some of the um, the issues. And I, I'd just add very briefly, from the ACLU's point of view, we're, we're really worried about essentially secret identification from a distance. So if you have, we have video uh, cameras everywhere. If you can do something like face recognition technology so you can identify particular individuals and automate that identification, you can use that surveillance network for lots of things, including tracking people around all the time, identifying where they've gone, identifying them in protests. So it's that secret identification at a distance that biometrics can enable that can be really scary and problematic. Is Mark Lerner with the Constitutional Alliance, and I appreciate the work that uh, Lily and Chris and everyone is doing. Uh, we wholeheartedly support uh, opposition to E-Verify and biometric enrollment. My question is this. I have spoke with people, uh, councils for on Subcommittee for Immigration and others, and there seems to be this attitude that E-Verify is the only way to respond to what the government wants to do, verify a person's lawful presence, et cetera. My question is simply this. If not E-Verify and biometrics, which we do oppose, what would you say then is an alternative to what the government would like to do? Emily, you want to, we've kicked around this a lot. You want to do that one? <laughs> Sure, I'll, I'll start it and then you can um, uh, back clean up, Chris. I think that the, you know the the important thing to remember at the outset is that there is already an I nine requirement, 
right? So there's already an employment verification process in place. Employers have to complete an I-9. They have to check workers' documents to make sure they appear reasonable on their face. And so I think that's, that's, that's important context, that there is actually already a verification process in place um, that grows out of the employer-sanctioned regime of um, IRCA from 1986. I think additionally we have to remember with E-Verify that even when you put a mandate like this into place, it's not going to compel employer compliance, right? So what we've seen in states, Chris mentioned Arizona being a state where there's mandatory E-Verify, even when you put a mandate like this into place and make the requirement electronic, a lot of employers in Arizona, one out of three employers still aren't using it. So I don't think it addresses that fundamental question of wanting to ensure that every single individual in an American workplace is actually work authorized. Yeah, and that's that's exactly right. We just, you know, we can't make the bad actors into good actors. We just end up penalizing the good actors more. Um, you know, and I think some of the things we can do, for example, is enforce the existing wage and hour laws so employers don't have an incentive to hire people off the books and pay them a lower wage and, and have them work in terrible conditions. Another thing we can do is spend more money on, you know, going in and enforcing the system we already have. Emily mentioned the, you know, the I-9 system. I mean, that's something that, you know, we, you know, testers could go in and actually verify whether that happens. And then, you know, we also can, if we're hell-bent on having an E-Verify system, we can prevent it, you know, we can keep photos out of it and try to keep it from becoming a national ID system, and we can also give people access rights. We can allow people to have access to their information in the system so they know, make sure it's right, so they know that, you know, they know who's accessed it, make sure it was accessed appropriately. Um, and we can, you know, do things like, for example, notify people when they're run through the E-Verify system. So, you know, we can, you know, we don't like E-Verify and we, we've argued against it, but there are also procedural steps we can put in there to protect workers that are in the system. Uh, may I be allowed to ask a follow-up question? Sure, go ahead. Okay, my follow-up question is this. Uh, we see with the Department of Motor Vehicles, especially with the Rural ID Act, the intention of the federal government to authenticate what we commonly refer to as breeder documents. Would that issue not again raise, uh, be raised with the I-9 solution? How do you know that the person in front of the employer is in fact who they say they are uh, based on solely the I-9 process. So uh, I'll take that and then uh, open it up to others. The, the reality is that with the paper I-9 process, the employer is required to inspect a worker's document and they have to appear genuine on their face. So often conservatives cite the fact that there are a large number of unauthorized workers who um, participate in the I-9 process but aren't detected. But to Chris's point, even if you put in place a more stringent verification system, that doesn't change the underlying dynamic and it doesn't change the underlying incentives that if employers don't want to verify workers or if they're willing to look the other way, whether or not you have an employment verification process in place or not, they're still going to continue to hire unauthorized workers and simply pay them lower wages and mistreat them, which makes all workplaces work worse. So while there is critique around the I-9 process, I don't think that the electronic employment verification process gets at that critique. Yeah, and I, to, just to build on that a little bit, um, 
you know, what you end up with is you can keep going down this road and trying to get more and more verification. But at the end of the day, what you end up with is a national ID system, which with all the harms that Lily pointed out, all the harms that I mentioned, all the misuse, and you still have the bad actors ignoring it. You know, they ignore it the same way they ignored the requirement to, to verify a, a driver's license or other breeder documents. So it's, it's a classic example where you could get enormously high compliance but completely fail because you haven't gotten the people that you wanted to comply to comply. Uh, this is early. I just had two points. One, the the automation or adding of technology is not going to resolve all of those issues. You're going to have false negatives and false positives. You're going to have readings that say this person is who they say they are and readings and be absolutely wrong, and you're going to have those that say this person isn't who they say they are or shouldn't be allowed to work, and that'll be wrong. But you also generate a black market in IDs. You have a large pool of people who are retired, people who are unable to work because of disabilities, a number of other factors. Uh, and it'd be a, it would be a matter of getting a biometrics or the acceptable biometrics and matching that to individuals. And we've seen cases where insider uh, threats to identity systems where DMV workers have allowed people to get driver's licenses when they should not have. We've seen where it was easy to copy a fingerprint using the equivalent of the material that gummy bears are made out of. So wherever there is an incentive to acquire uh, a beta system, people will bring a lot of resources to bear to do that. The more valuable that identity document is, the more resources are going into trying to defeat it. So we, we need to take all of that into consideration as well. Thank you. Okay, thank you. We'll go ahead and take the next question. I'm sorry, I got the mute uh, system on. Uh, this is Mahonri Chicago from the Latino Leadership Alliance of New Jersey. I have a question um, regarding the support uh, for this uh, uh, E-Verify. Do we know the position uh, of the AFL-CIO or the Chamber of Commerce, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce on this? Sure. Um, uh, yeah, you want to take that, Chris? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, tell me if I, you know, you're a little closer, you may be closer to this than I am, Emily. I mean, you know, the Chamber was opposed to E-Verify for many, many years. They actually filed a lawsuit um, that the ACLU joined in that went all the way to the Supreme Court dealing with state applications of E-Verify. However, in 2009, the federal government required all federal contractors to start using E-Verify, which kind of changed the dynamic with the Chamber because obviously there are many large employers. And so once many of their members had to start using E-Verify, as, as if when they were government contractors, sort of changed the dynamic and, and weakened the um, chamber's opposition. I'm not sure if they've ever formally come out in favor of E-Verify, but they haven't been the vocal advocates they were in the past. The AFL has been, you know, I don't want to characterize their position. They're not on the call. They've been very concerned about many of the worker rights issues and the, you know, the errors in the system. Um, but I, you know, Obviously, mandatory verify has been part of of every legislative proposal, and I think they're they're working to make that you know those legislative proposals into a reality. As is the ACLU, as is NILK. So thanks everyone for joining us. <clears throat> this call was recorded, so it should in uh, you know, a few short days it should be up on our website along with all the materials we sent out to those of you 
who uh, are SDPs, which is background information from the ACLU, from NILC, from EPIC, and also from the Rights Working Group. You can feel free to use that information in any of your advocacy efforts or community education efforts. We hope you also share the recording, and thanks so much for joining us. I'd like to especially thank uh, the three people who took time out of their very busy days to be with us, Emily Tully, Chris Calabrese, and Lily Coney. Thanks again. <laughs>